going to talk about, well, one, how many guys you've desired where, gosh, I want, I want God to use me to heal? Not only yourself, but others. Anybody have that desire? That was always, we always were intrigued by that. Like, wow, wouldn't that be awesome? And I just got to tell you, of course he'll use you. It's the same spirit. It's the same spot. There's, uh, what you'll realize is there's not these people that have a special gift. I know it talks about it. Well, hey, does everybody have this? But everybody has the same spirit, right? When you just learn that you're one with the spirit, you, you guys can release everything that God has at all times, whether it's his joy, his healing, his abundance, whatever it is. And so anyway, um, we're going to talk about healing tonight, but I want to show you this video because I think, uh, and I debated about it, didn't I? I was like, gosh, it's, because some people miss the subtleties in here. But um, four people brought this video up to me this week. So I'm like, all right, Lord, okay. Um, all right, <laughs> I'm listening. And then this morning I just, I woke up and, and just really was like, you need to show this video because it nails prayer perfectly. And so to set it up, um, it's, uh, uh, and I don't really care what you think about Neville Goddard. It's Neville Goddard because some people are like, hey, it's this. I go, the dude knew prayer. And uh, so he's, he's teaching, um, this Ethiopian rabbi is teaching him how this thing works. And if you get this, guys, I'm telling you, this is how healing everything works. So you guys cool if I show you this video? Yeah. All right. It was 1933. If you remember, there was a frightful depression on in our country. Millions were unemployed. In New York City, you would go through the tunnel into Gimbel's from, say, the square where Gimbel's begins. It goes all the way through to the, uh, the Holland Tunnel. They were sleeping with the permission of the mayor. Three and four deep, as far as the eye could go. There's no place to go. In the park, in the summer months, they were allowed to sleep in the park, sleep all over the place. And the long lines for coffee and bread were there to get them. There were millions unemployed. We then had a population of not more than, say, 130 million, as against today's 192 million. I was a dancer, and if you couldn't eat, you couldn't pay to watch a dancer. So there were no shows playing on Broadway. I think we had five Broadway shows, and they were running on paper. Yes, even passing on paper, you're going to see them, really. Instead of the usual 50 and 60 shows that you used to get. Well, what I'm getting at, I didn't have a job, I had no money, and I was living in a basement on 75th Street, and he lived on 72nd Street in a very lovely home that was owned by Morgan Thal, whose son was then the treasury of the uh, of our country, a cabinet member, but his father owned this house. But he didn't live there, and he went to the first floor to my friend Abdullah. I said to Abdullah in the month of October, late October, I've been gone from Barbados for almost 12 years, came here in 22, and it's almost 12 years, and I've never had a desire to go back, but now I have a hungry desire, a hunting desire to go to Barbados. Now, the thing stops me, but the lack of money, I have no money. He said to me, you are in Barbados. I said, I'm in Barbados. He said, yes, you are now in Barbados. And so, you see Barbados, and you see America from Barbados, and you can smell the tropical land of Barbados, see only the little homes of Barbados, and that's all you do. You just simply sleep this night in Barbados. Well, I thought him insane, really. I mean, at the moment, it seems so stupid, because 72nd Street, we still had 50 and 60-story buildings. And little Barbados with a little three-story building, almost the tallest that you find, and narrow little streets and no sidewalks. And I'm walking on a sidewalk wider than the wide street of Barbados on 72nd Street. But nevertheless, that night I slept in Barbados. I assumed that I'm in Barbados in my mother's home, and that I saw America relative to Barbados, and it wasn't under me that night, it was north of me about 2,000 miles. Well, the next day, I didn't tell him anything, but a week later, when nothing happened, I thought I would approach him. This time, it moved into November. I said, you know, Ab, there is no, not a thing has happened. He wouldn't discuss it with me. He turned his back on me and went into his little library and slammed the door. About three times I tried to open up the discussion with my friend Al between that moment when I first talked to him and the end. He would never discuss it. On the basis, how can he discuss with me how I am going to Barbados when I am already in Barbados? That's stupid to discuss how I'm going to go 
and I have a Barbados. And if I am faithful to my assumption, I can't discuss the how. I will reckon them. Well, this went on on the morning of the fourth day of December. There's no job, no place to go, and the last boat that will get me there, my Christmas, is going to sail on the 6th. Under my door is a little letter from my brother Victor. And he said, as a family, we were never around the table at Christmas together. That season, that is my oldest brother, he left home before the last was born. Because we have a large family, there's eight, eight years between my sister, Daphne, who was the eighth child, and then my brother, Joe. But in that interval, my brother Cecil went off to Demerara. So, never as a family were we ever together at Christmas. So in the letter, he justifies why he's asked me to come. He said, I know you don't have a job, and there's no excuse for not coming. And so I'm enclosing a draft for $50. You may need a shirt, a pair of shoes, socks or something. And I've notified the furnace witty line that you'll come for a ticket. So the ticket is waiting for you at the furnace line. Well, I was so excited, I rushed on down to the furnace line, and I told, gave them my letter. They said, yes, we have... Uh, a message here from your family in Barbados. We'll give you a ticket, but we haven't any first-class tickets left. You can go, you can go third-class and use the facilities of the first, but you have to sleep third-class until you hit the island of St. Thomas. When you hit St. Thomas, someone disembarks, then you may take a first-class bunk. I said, I'll take it. I rushed right up to that donor. And I said, Am I have my ticket for Barbados, but I've been on third-class. I'm only elated and happy about it. He said, who told you that you're going to Barbados? And who told you that you went to Barbados third class? You went to Barbados and you went first class. Would say no more. He is even happy that I'm going to Barbados now. <laughs> so I went home on the morning of the 6th of December with my third class ticket. I went up to the desk as I checked in the passengers and I put my ticket forward. He said, I've got good news for you, Mr. Goddard. Someone is cancelled and you're going first class. And I went first class all the way down to Barbados. Ten days down, ten days back, with three heavenly months in Barbados. So all that I did, I tried to the best of my ability with his, I would call almost insolence. He was rude. But he taught me by his rudeness that I cannot discuss how, if I am doing what I'm supposed to do. He tells me right away, you are in Barbados. Like someone comes to you now. And you would apply this principle towards their request. And they say, oh, I would love to be happily married. And you say to her or him, you are now happily married. They look at you as though you're insane. But that's exactly what you're supposed to do. You are now happily married. But if I am now happily married, I'm a lady, I would instantly begin to feel that ring well in my imagination. I'd let others see that I have my ring, but that would imply I'm happily married to my ring. And so if I don't wear it from then on, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. So in my imagination, I have to go to bed, bury my ring. And actually, do all that I would do in that state. Well, he said, you were in Barbados. And I'm in New York City physically, but he put me in Barbados in my imagination. So that I slept in Barbados to the best of my ability. But you know, days go into weeks, and the weeks went into a month. And I'm trying my best to open up a discussion with him to get a little hope. No, no hope. He wouldn't give me any encouragement if I did what he told me to do. But we all are human enough to want another little discussion, another little push. And so he taught me the lesson that there is no such thing as a little pregnancy. No such thing. If you did it, then you're pregnant. Let the child grow. And interference with it is going to be a miscarriage. You assume that you are in Barbados. Now you're pregnant. The idea is you're going to give birth to a journey and which will land you right in Barbados. So you, you must assume it. That is conception. Now, don't try to argue. You are conceived. And all you have to do is to be a faithful mother and bear that child. And don't discuss it with me anymore. He never discussed it after he told me I was in Barbados. And I learned so many things from the old fellow. I came back because I wasn't drinking. I brought him two lovely old bottles of brandy. The best that we had in the island, two lovely bottles. And I some rum. So I gave him my father's rum, gave him the brandy. A week later, he said to me, Say, how long do you expect those things to last? 
learned my lesson. I thought he would sip those things for a year. Oh no, they were gone. And he wondered how long I suppose these things to last for him. And of course, he really disillusioned me terribly on so many things because I would go and dine with him. And after that, I was then a strict vegetarian. I was trying to overcome it after I came back gradually. And of course, he would sit down and he would have two or three big shots of rye. I mean, big shots of rye. And then he would wash down his meal with a lot of porno. Or it wasn't where it was out of ale. And then he would, at the end, like Churchill, a huge big bowl of ice cream. I said, Al, how can you do that? Oh, he said, you couldn't do it in poison you, because you had cripples. But you know that God made everything? Everything is God. You would see he made something and not the rest. No, God made everything. And he'll send me back to the Bible. Go back to the Bible and read the book of Acts. And Peter couldn't eat the unclean thing. And then the Lord said, Slay me, for that which I have cleansed, I have cleansed. Now, she came down filled with all manner of animals and food. And the voice said to Peter, Slay and eat, for that which I have cleansed, I have cleansed. So he said, You have cripples, Neville. With any of your cripples, it poison you. But he would sit down and polish off this enormous meal, and wash it down with ale, preceded it with three shots of rye. And, and here was a man, truly of the Spirit. But if I judge for parents, I would say, well, he can't be a holy man, for which I am most grateful that he wasn't. Because he taught me real Christianity. And he was born in North Africa of Jewish parents and raised in a strict old Jewish home. How's that? You can pause it. He, he continues in there where this was during... Uh, uh, he, he loved opera and Broadway shows because they were in New York City. And he's an Ethiopian rabbi, so he's a black guy from Ethiopia, obviously. And uh, they, this was where they still had segregation in the different seats. And, and if you listen to this, he said, uh, Neville would say, do you want me to go get the tickets? He goes, he would never let me get the tickets. He would go, he would go in, and uh, he said, I need two seats, fourth row, orchestra, right here. He goes, they always gave him tickets because he saw himself. His prayer was, I see myself in those seats watching the opera, and nobody ever gave him a hard time. Isn't that awesome? So you can supersede, uh, you can supersede local laws if there's a higher law, and obviously the higher law is there's no segregation. Isn't that beautiful? You love this stuff? I love this stuff. So uh, no quibbles. How about that one? No quibbles. That good? Did you catch his prayer here? And this is what I want to talk about, about healing too, because I, I, I've We've done it by trial and error. I'm going to go through this book uh, a little bit, The Healing Light by Agnes Sanford. That Two weeks ago when Brad was here, he's like, because we, we were sharing the testimonies of healing, and he's like, you guys sound exactly like Agnes Sanford. We, we never heard of her. We just, I said, we'd like to act like we were this smart. We just did it by trial and error. It's like anything, but I'm going to try to save you the trial and error, right? We just prayed for people, and people were miraculously healed a lot of times, and and they're like, wow, we know that wasn't us, so we don't know, we're not sure what was, that was all about, which really just showed us that anybody can release him at any time when you're just aware of it. So what I've seen so many people do about praying for healing, too, is, is they'll, let, let's just pick something. They'll, they'll, they'll pray against the cancer, for instance, right, and rebuke that cancer and that demon and all this crazy stuff. Um, would he do that? No, and that, that's what we learned by trial and error, too, is we would just see them vibrant, we'd see them whole, and knowing that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, and it'll quicken mortal bodies, we would just be aware of that, and we'll, we'll practice with you guys tonight, but um, if anybody needs prayer for healing, please come up here, because it's, it's so simple, it's so simple, you'll, you'll get used to it, we're like, yeah, of course I can do this, and, and, uh, and he's graceful, you can never get this wrong, that's what's, what's so amazing about this, but... Uh, um, and, and Beth Shibley, is she, she in here or did she go to Sunday school? Okay, so it's Beth, it, Beth is uh, Barb's sister. Some of you guys know this testimony. I was thinking about this. This is exactly what Mark and Beth did, actually. So he was diagnosed with Waldenstrom's disease, which up until that time was a 100% fatal form of cancer. Nobody survived. That's a, that's a pretty bad diagnosis, wouldn't you say? And um, what's so cool to me was is, uh, they were in the Air Force, and, and uh, I don't remember how many nights, three, four nights, where they said, he wouldn't make it. Do you remember, Mom, or three nights? And the Air Force was trying to do the right thing for them because she was pregnant with Christina, right? So the keyboardist tonight, she was pregnant with her. And this is part of the story, which is cool. So um, 
they were going, hey, ma'am, you need to sign this thing because you're going to get double life insurance. But if he passes before you sign, then you're not going to get this life insurance. So I get what they're trying to do. The doctors are there trying to do the right thing for her because she's pregnant with her second. You know, I'm going to lose my husband and all those things. But how do you pray for healing when you've already seen him healed? Does that make sense? And she wouldn't sign it every time. She's like, no, no, he's, he's going to make it. I'm sure the doctors are going, this is crazy. It's a 100% fatal diagnosis. But if, he's, if we've prayed that he's already vibrant and whole, then he's going to be vibrant and whole, right? And I remember what Mark said, and this is what really hit me even listening to this again, as, you know, when they're saying, hey, you're not, they're telling him too, and then he went to a coma and you're not going to make it through the night. He said, when I was awake, I would watch and I would picture myself walking Christina down uh, for her prom. So she wasn't even born yet, but that's the prayer. So does that make sense? You're seeing, you're using your divine gifts of your heart and mind, seeing what you desire. Not most, how I was taught prayer was begging God somehow he's this distant thing and somehow hoping he'll move through me. That will frustrate you. That'll get you tired. You're going to do all the crazy stuff like the, where, you know, I was taught this because they, in my opinion, misinterpreted the parable of the, the unjust judge, right? They're like, because the lady's hammering the judge night and day, just being this nag on this judge. And it's the unjust judge. And said, even the unjust judge will grant your wish. So I was taught, so keep being like the, the lady begging God until he moves. Anybody ever taught that? Like that's, when do you get to watch the Yankees game? That sucks, that form of prayer. Like there's no fun in that, right? Like when do I get to stop? And there's always this fear Maybe I didn't do it enough, or maybe I didn't do it right, or all that, you can throw all that out. Isn't that good news? You see what you desire. You picture it as best you can in your imagination. That's why I love your testimony, Ashley. When you first sent it to me, it was like, I didn't do anything. And I was, but you are doing something. You're going, thank you, Father, that I am blessed and I am favored. And everywhere I go, people sign contracts with me. And that's just how you do it. You see these contracts coming in, and miraculously it happens, right? And it's not miraculous. It's just that's the kingdom of God. It's just a higher thing that anybody can learn. And it's such a simple thing. So the challenge is, like he said, we're human. And we want that little touch every now and then. But here's the thing is really you just see it. You feel it as best as you can. Knowing that your heart and mind are divine gifts, they will return. Does that make sense? So if you're praying for, the, if you're praying for somebody, um, a lot of times they, they'll come. And I don't really want to know what's all going on in their life and their body. And sometimes they'll... I'll, I'll just go, hey, what's going on? Just so I, I can kind of focus on that part of the body. But if they tell me what's happening, let's just pick something. They go, oh, I've got uh, pancreatitis or whatever, right? Which that, I get to share this testimony with you. Um, then I know where to focus. I, I see that part full of his love, his light, just vibrant and whole. But I'm not praying against something against it. Because... Darkness is not a real entity, as, as Brad Jerzak does such a great job. Is the, the church father said, darkness is not this evil force that you have to overcome. Like somehow it has a force greater than it's the cosmic battle of good versus evil, which is dualism, which we were talking about today too. I could not figure it out for so long. Like, what are you talking about dualism? Because it's such a real thing to us. We, have, we believe there's these evil forces, demons, the Satan, everything else, and somehow they have some power outside of God, and somehow we got to do this, right, and, and fight, and and the darkness is just us using the same spirit. There's one spirit. There's one body in the wrong way, thinking about the wrong thing. That's the darkness. That's the, the potent force. You guys okay with that? If you must call it a real thing, then know it's under your feet. That's what I've always said. Realize what Paul says is you were co-resurrected with him, and you're seated far above every other principle and power. So I don't want to hear it. You're not battling a demon or Satan or anything like that. It's nonsense. It's a, no, it's a non-issue to you. You guys cool with that? You'd be surprised how Christians want that. They want that bad. They, they want to fight. It's like, good Lord. It's just, we're, we're, we tried that, and it just wore me out. It's so much easier to think on these things, things that are lovely, things that are pure, things that are of good report. And that's all. So I'll share a cool testimony from uh, um, Carrie, Cheryl, and C.J. Hickman. And uh, they're, they're part of Freedom out in Maryland, so they'll hear this at some point. I'll, I'll share her testimony. It's, it's kind of fun. So, as we used to do in testimony service in church, first giving honor to God, who is the head of my life, I'm learning how to live this more and more each day because of the revelation that's being shared through Freedom Ministries. Carrie, CJ, and I say to each other each at least once a week, but mostly several times a week, how blessed we are. 
through these teachings. About a month ago, I began reading the Love Code from the beginning again. This is my fifth time. <laughs> so I'd start, I'm not laughing at you. It's just like, it's, it's sometimes it took me that too. It's just like, good, I can't get this thing. And then finally the light comes on, right? Like, oh, I get it. And she talks about that here. This was my fifth time I had to start over, but this time I heard spirit, I heard in my spirit, Cheryl, it's love. It's love. It's called the love code. I heard it clearly and distinctly, OMG. From that point on, the revelation just poured into my spirit so much so that Carrie and I purchased several copies and began sewing it into others. In 2014, I stepped over the last two steps of my staircase at home, and I walked for a cane for two and a half years until we began fellowshipping with Freedom Online. My healing came in part where I didn't have the cane and was able to walk through the airport on my own, but there would be times where that pain would return, and uh, uh, the pain would subside, but then it would return. It would be, almost be unbearable. This past Friday, I told the Lord, Daddy, you got to do something about this. You're going to have to tell me what I'm missing. And Saturday was a better day. I wasn't in much pain compared to, to the day before. Then that evening, Carrie and I were giving God praise for how he used us and blessed us that day. I got a call from my youngest sister. She was going into my mom's house, and the ambulance was there. And all my mom said to my sister, who lives closest to us, that, and all she could get out over the phone was, just come. They got her to the hospital. They, can't, they couldn't find out the episode that she was experiencing. After extending the energy tool to her, they determined it was acute pancreatitis and not a heart attack. Her blood pressure was dangerously high. Her heart rate was, was way too low. <clears throat> Finally, the thought came to me to send a prayer request to Mike. To God be the glory, you responded and gave me the key that I had been missing. You had told me to use my imagination and see my mom vibrant and whole, communicating with me, Cheryl, I feel great and I'm ready to go home. That's the prayer. Does, does that make sense? I said, use your imagination and see your mother telling you, Cheryl, I feel great. I'm ready to go home. So that was on Tuesday night. And then this is Wednesday morning. The reports flooded in. My mom had a good night for the first time since Saturday. I emailed you on Tuesday. And this, 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 this is on Wednesday, that this report. Her blood pressure remained stable. There was only mild discomfort. The doctor said there was no signs of pancreatitis. She's resting uh, everything stabilized, heart rate 72, oxygenation 98, blood pressure 124 for 54, and they started weaning her off the fluids and oxygen. And she's working with a PT, and they had her sit in a chair for the first time since Saturday. And, and, and the pain in my knee is gone. The greatest of all is love. You can chop this up however you need to share. A cup is so full, it's so thankful. Continue love blessings to all of you from to our Freedom family. is that cool? So... She could have spent hours and get the prayer team and begging God to somehow move versus using our divine gift of our heart and mind, picturing exactly what she wanted to happen, and it happened overnight. Is that cool? Can you guys do that? See, we were talking about this too. Is he, he wouldn't make it hard because he said the children enter into the kingdom, right? So if children can do it, that means we should be able to do it. If kids can do it, meaning that you don't have to know all these deep theological concepts. Um, I don't see my kids get into the word more. I don't see them shabba-dabba-dabba and all that much, all the stuff I was taught. They use their divine gifts. And the spirit, the kingdom of God is where? Within, right? And the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the spirit, the Holy Ghost, spirit, whatever you want to call it, meaning it's not a physical thing. And if we read Hebrews, it says, by faith we understand that everything we see is made from things that we don't see. Get it? Your heart and mind are divine gifts, and we've stolen that from people going, get realistic and, and do all these things. That was the greatest gift, I think, by going to Bible school in Africa, is what Bishop would always tell us. He goes, you guys have lived among the humans too long. You've forgotten your supernatural. You've forgotten that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you are one. And it doesn't take this... Uh, let me just cover this because it, it, it's um, how I was taught, which is really painful and hard and, and uh, can get very condemning sometimes, is do all these things more to increase your faith. Anybody ever heard that? That wore me out. Faith, faith is like breathing. We're, we're built to have it. You don't try and increase it. You simply use your imagination to see what you desire, and it bubbles up in you effortlessly. Does that make sense? 
So is, well, don't you believe in faith? Yes, it's the most powerful thing in the world, but you don't get it by doing what you're doing. Because I've seen so many people get into the word more, but if they're getting into it more with condemnation, it gets worse. The harder they try, the worse it gets, and they feel worse and worse. And then we come up with these things like, well, sometimes God doesn't answer prayer. It does not say that anywhere. It says, ask and what? You shall receive so your joy may be full. He wants us to be a joyful bride, does he not? You guys getting this? So that's how simple prayer is. Let me just go through. Uh, do we have, is it working or no? Can we do these slides or no? It's coming and going? We were just joking about having computer problems, weren't we? Yeah. <laughs> we were. We were like uh, joking about it. There. So I can do it. I can do it uh, without it because I know what I, I know that I only had. So is this real? What's that? Oh, no, 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 because you didn't, yeah, your computer problems at your restaurant? Yeah. Cash still works, right? We never have it. Thankfully, Solomon had cash. He's like, you got, he's like, I got a hundred, like, that'll do. So, um, I just want to share a couple things with you, then I'll, I'll share a scripture, and then we'll, we'll just talk about healing and, and really how you guys can do it simply, in my opinion. It's not steps, but some people need structure, like, what do I do? So I'll give you, what do you do? Is that Okay. And then you're going to develop your own system anyway. But anyway, uh, you guys have heard me talk about this before, but I really find it interesting because uh, the classic, if you grew up like us with Word of Faith, you know, Mark 11, 23, 24, or it was called Hagen 11, 23, 24, right? It, because Kenneth Hagen was such a... Uh, and we, were all, we were learned all of that. And there's so much in there, but over the, over the, over the time, it kind of got into back, basically works again. You got to build your faith up. You got to get your belief above your unbelief. That's a disaster, guys, is people just get broken in that. And it really has to come from how would a loving father treat his son and how would a husband passionately in love with his bride treat his bride? It has to fit that in my opinion. So if I'm, if I'm in love with my wife, and she is, I would not, if she needs something, I have the ability to give it to her. I would not say this. I would not say, Sweetie, you get your, get your belief above your unbelief, then I'll give it to you. I'm going to be in marriage counseling. But somehow that's how we see God, and that's how the mega pastors teach it that way. I hate that. I really do. I'm like, that's kind of condemning to people, in my opinion. In love, would you ever do that to your daughter if she needs something? If, she, if she's in need and you have the ability to take care of it, aren't you going to take care of it? In fact, you'll do it out of love. You'll do it before she even asks because you look out for your kids, Right? Well, guess what? Scripture says that. Before you even asked, I've answered. Follow me? So that's what you bring your mind into. But anyway, um, so seeing, I, I love that. So he says, uh, hey, I want to go back to Barbados, but I don't have any money, right? It would be going like, uh, um, well, I don't know. He, I, hey, I want to go on this trip to, uh, uh, where do we want to go? Well, we always want to go to Hawaii. So, <laughs> so, but it would be, yeah, so it would be, let's just say it's like somebody who going, actually, this was pretty interesting. This, there was a testimony um, where somebody wanted to come with us, and they told their mom, they were like, uh, and we didn't know any of this. They're like, Mike and Barbara are going to Hawaii. Um, and uh, they're like, Mom, I want to go to Hawaii. She's like, well, ask the Lord. You know, classic Christian thing. And so in our spirit, we're like, hey, we should ask her. We'll pay for her trip. That's how it works. So you, you see yourself in that destination if that's where you want to go. And then stay on that. Just use your imagination to feel it, to smell it, to have conversations with people in that end result. Does that make sense? Where uh, see yourself in Hawaii uh, ordering, a, what's the thing we love? The lava flow. Oh, good Lord. I'm seeing myself in Hawaii already. So... Um, <laughs> At the Grand Wailea, it's wonderful if you guys want to come with us. It's just wonderful. It really is. It's just awesome. So, hey, I'm trying to get to Barbados. How can you get to Barbados? You went to Barbados, past tense, and you went first class. Do you hear that, what he was saying? He's going, but I don't have any money. He's like, what are we talking about? You're already there, and you're already there first class in your mind. Does that line up with Scripture? I think it lines up perfectly. If you look at Mark eleven twenty three twenty four, if you look at the tenses of the Greek verbs, it says, if you believe you have received it, past tense, then you have it. Now, and you've heard me talk about this, the Hebrew, which really is interesting because Jesus more than likely spoke Aramaic and Hebrew, and it's both the same as this. The Hebrew language has present and past tense, but no future tense. 
And that's how I see most people pray. They're like, please, Gord, heal this person of cancer if it's your will. Ever heard prayer like that? Eh. Just, no, it's bad. It's, it's, no, it's, there's no assurance in there. There's nothing. I can't trust my dad in that because he, that's somehow he's fickle. He's life. Can he, did Jesus, you will find in scripture, did he ever not heal anybody that came to him for healing? Never. You can't find it in scripture. Never. Not once. Everybody that came to him, even the guy who didn't have much faith came to him. And did he heal him? Of course he healed him. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So is it ever his will not to heal you? It can't be. He's life. That's why I always joke. I go, any, if you in scriptures, anytime he showed up to a funeral, they rose from the dead. Because he's the funeral spoiler. He's life. He's like, I'm the resurrection. If I show up, they're going to resurrect. that interesting? And he hasn't changed. He's still that person. Follow me? So Hebrew has no future tense. Or, I mean, yeah, no future tense. So this is really interesting. You guys have heard this. So if you read Young's literal translation, it's, it's a tough translation because it's, it's the correct tenses of the verbs, but there's no future. And here's what it says. It's really interesting. It says, um, uh, where is that? The Hebrews were in the habit of using past tense. So when they wanted to emphasize something that they desired in the future, they put it in past tenses, which expressed the certainty of the action taking place. You guys follow me? So they're not begging God to somehow heal. If they wanted it to be done, they say, you have been healed. And you see that person in that state, whether it's you or somebody else. And I would go add, add a conversation to it. See them conversing with, with you if they trust you or, or somebody and see that. So it says, if they wanted to express future tense, they put it in past tense, expressing the certainty of an action taking place, even though the action might not really be performed for some time that the Hebrews, in referring to events which might be either past or future, were accustomed to act on the principle of transferring themselves mentally to the period. Does this sound familiar? This is why all the feasts, they actually acted out the feasts every time. They, and if you, if you hear the Jews talk about it, they teach their kids to mentally place themselves in there, in that feast, as if they're doing the feast. You guys got it? So, that the Hebrews, in referring to events which might be either past or future, would act on the principle of transferring themselves mentally to the period and place of the events themselves and were not content with coldly viewing them as those of bygone or still coming, hence the very frequent use of present tense. So they always wrote in present or past tense as if it's already done. And they would mentally place themselves there. Doesn't that sound exactly what you just heard there? You went to Barbados and you went to first class. Amen? You guys getting this? Yes. I know it's crazy when you start thinking about it, when we start thinking about no time. Yeah, that's right. You were healed, right? You were delivered. You were saved. You were all these things, right? But then you start getting outside of time, like Brad and I were talking about where he, last, last Sunday night when he says, Jesus was the prototype of Adam. Because we call him the second Adam, but we actually were birthed out of Jesus. That's what the church fathers taught, blah, 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 right? Which scripture says that, doesn't it? Before... Adam, you were found in him. Hallelujah, man. So how can we jump out? Religion has to separate you from him. Now we have all these crazy things. No wonder it's a mess, in my opinion. But if we teach the really good news that this is already a done deal, so that's why I think John, where it says, as Jesus is in this, so are you in this world. Right now you're seated in this place of position of the most loved on the right hand. That's why we always put our wives on the right hand or a person of dignity is always on the right hand. You are seated at the right hand of the throne in Jesus Christ. Is that cool? And I, I, I was always taught this authority thing. I go, yeah, but you're missing the relationship there. You're missing the love where he's like, no, you're my bride and you're right here. And I couldn't put you in a higher position. That is more powerful than trying to take authority in my opinion. Love never fails. Trying to take authority. I think people trying to take authority of an ant and they can't do it sometimes because they're not seen as if it's already done and they have this idea they're begging God. Are you with me? All right, so let me just, yeah. So religion has separated man from God, but the greatest revelation, that's what Jesus came and said, the kingdom of God is where? Inside you. You think I'm gonna go save Jerusalem and and build a new temple, etc. You're the temple. This whole thing's about you. And this mystery that's been hidden for ages is now revealed as Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's in you. You're one with him. So 
the, one of the greatest lies is, is that you're separate and you got to get back. And he's like, you could never be separate from perfect love. So praying is not, you, I've covered a lot of this. Praying is not begging God to perform, which is what, how most of us were taught. Just stay at it till you get it. There's some truth in there because you're planting a seed. But if you're doing it constantly without calming yourself down in fear, it doesn't work as well. It doesn't work as well. So I'd, I love this. I was going through some past services. Joe Dispenda, this interview, I love this because these guys are teaching this correctly. It just doesn't have to take 50 minutes that we were talking about. You can do this in five minutes. You don't have to do the whole Dispenza. So he says, when living by the senses, we think we have to create our future by willpower. Ashley, that was your testimony, right? I start getting nervous and, oh, I got to do this and got to get my ducks in a row. That is matter trying to change matter, cause and effect. It takes a lot of time for our dreams to come true. When operating in the quantum, I would just say spirit, right? Seeing as if it's already done. And the frequency of your heart mind matches the frequency of anything, unlimited potential. It collapses space and time and brings the future to you, is how I would say it. It brings the event to you. What you truly experience in your imagination and emotionally feel will slow down in frequency and collapse into matter. Don't concern yourself how this will get done. He will do it the right way for you. You guys got it? All right, let me talk about this book real quick and then we'll pray. I'm not going to cover all those slides, Jeffrey. So anyway, so here's Jeff. Brad, when we were with him two weeks ago at his other house, and he was going, we are just telling him the, the healing testimonies that we see and uh, all these different things. Even online, you know, we, we pray for people online, and they're healed. And it's like, uh, you sound like Agnes Sanford, The Healing Light. You guys know I don't recommend that many books, but if you really want to know about healing, it's, it's worth its while. It's published in the 40s. Um, and uh, as I read it, I go, this is exactly what we do. This is all we do. So let me just share one thing in here, and then we'll... We'll talk about how to pray and actually pray with you guys. And so anyway, uh, let's see. I think this is all I wanted to do. So she's talking about her neighbor. Um, this guy didn't believe in healing. And so her son comes over, says, Mama, Fred, Fred's father's dying. My little boy once said to the frightened one, in frightened tones, he's dying right now. And I knew that my child expected me to rush to the rescue of this playmate's parent. I was not keen on doing this, though I had never met Mr. Williams. The children's chatter had acquainted me with his condition. He, he had had a rheumatic heart for 20 years and would often come home at night so weak from exhaustion that the children would drag him from his milk truck and help him into the house. And he had just seized with a second attack of rheumatic fever and persisted in this milk route, fearing that if he ever gave up, he would never work again. His wife, moreover, with whom I exchanged flowers and gossip over the back fence, had told me that he was a good man, but he hadn't much for this healing business. However, I could not bear the distress in my child's eyes, so I heaved a sigh went through a hole in the back fence and tapped on my neighbor's door. There was no answer, so I opened the door and went in. I found Mr. Williams on a chair in the living room, humped over a table, unconscious and breathing in a very strange way. I could not see his face as it was buried in his arms. I sat down on the arm of his chair, slid one hand underneath him, and placed my hands above and below his heart. It was beating precisely like a kettle drum beats in, I have no idea what this is, but Strauss's Death and Transfiguration probably should know my mother was a music teacher and probably listened to it and didn't know what it was. So insistent. Beth, do you know what it is? No? Strauss's Death and Transfiguration. I'm sure it's some classic. That, huh? Okay. Anyway, meaning that it was insistently, irregularly, terrifyingly. I found out later that the heart had swollen until it filled the whole chest and that every valve had burst and was leaking like a sieve. That's bad. However, at the time, I needed no doctor to tell me that this, that his condition was serious. I could feel it, and my own fingers reported it to me. As soon as my hands were firmly upon his heart, I felt quite serene and in control. Forgetting the heart, so meaning I'm not trying to pray for God to heal the heart, right? I fixed my mind on the presence of the Lord and invited him in to enter and use me. Then Mr. Williams, being quite unconscious, I talked informally to his heart, assuring it quietly that the power of God was at this very moment, recreating it, and it didn't need to labor any longer. Isn't that good? Heart, you can just rest. Isn't that better than, I command you. I just, I get it. Sometimes it just, if there's no time, there's no, there's no emergency either, right? Being quite unconscious, I talked to the heart, assuring it quietly that the power of God was at this very moment recreating it. I pictured the heart perfect, blessing it in the name of the Lord and giving thanks that it had been recreated in perfection. Get it? She's seeing the end and saying, thank you, Father, that his heart, she pictured it, thank you, Father, that his heart is recreated. I could even, I could feel the heartbeats become more quiet and regular. I could even feel the strange inner shifting that the reports 
the rebuilding of flesh and tissue, the heart would become for a moment almost normal and speedy, and then again it would take the unconscious form and agitated, whereupon I would quiet it again as one would quiet a frightened animal, feeling it almost as a living thing with a certain intelligence capable of responding to suggestion. It's all right now, I would say. Just take it easy. Easy now, easy does it. Just be quietly and slowly. You don't have to labor. You're going to be all right. Any doctor could learn to do this. He could control the heart of a patient without even explaining this method. Be quiet, he could say to the patient if he were conscious. I just want to listen to your heart. And then he could place his hands on the heart, bend over its ear, and ask God to use him as medicine of healing the patient. Anyway, so she talks about this, and it says, uh, uh, I felt quiet between, I felt, it felt quiet between my two hands, but I was somewhat afraid of Mr. Williams himself and of his reaction when he should awake and find himself in the embrace of a strange woman. So, however, I need not have been. He awakened quietly, simply as a child, and I said, I've been praying for you. He merely replied, thank you. It's much better. By the time the doctor came, the patient had walked upstairs, gone comfortably to bed. Gone comfortably to bed. Why, Williams, cried the doctor two days later. What happened? Your heart has gone back to its normal size. In this case, the praying on, prayer with laying on of hands was a remedy for a wrecked heart. But if God wanted him to live, why wouldn't he heal him without a healer, some people ask. God wants, to use, God wants us to have electric lights too, but he will not put them in a house <clears throat> without an electrician. God has graciously endowed us with the dignity of free will. He has not chosen to make us automatons, but who he can jerk about with strings. He has given us minds, presumably that we may use them. Isn't that good? So all she did was placed her hands on her heart, on him, and saw his heart as whole and comforted it. Knowing that that spirit in our, in our, our hearts and minds are divine gifts, and we see that heart healed and whole and vibrant and, re, and in our imagination seeing it perfectly, beating perfectly and calmly, that is the seed planted in their heart. Any, any seed planted in your heart will return. That's the secret of the kingdom of God, Right? Isn't that powerful? One other thing I think this is really cool, and then uh, we'll do this, is this, I, this really, so she's talking about the same story here. Those who observe the flow of water see that in order to keep clean and fresh, the water must have a continuing channel. I mean, God's is a flow. The Holy Spirit's moving, flowing. <clears throat> a lake that not only has a source, but has an outlet as well. Without an outlet, it tends to become stagnant and unhealthy. So it is the living water of the Spirit of God, the everlasting light of the heavenly electricity. We have learned how to receive life from him. In order to keep that life flowing through us, we must learn how to give that life out to others, this divine flow, right? That's why he tells us we should be praying for people, etc., doing greater things than him. This is not a matter of concerning we have. A light bulb cannot choose whether its wires shall terminate at a certain point or whether it shall not. If the wire terminates within the bulb itself, the current ceases to flow. And if the life of God terminates within ourselves, that life ceases to flow as well. And then she talks about, over the years, she was kind of wondering, she, she says this, it says, I found that those who came to me for help received a tremendous inflowing of power at first. This power, would, this power should, I felt, increase as their understanding increased. And sometimes, it, in some cases it did, but in other cases it tended to run thin as time passed on. Searching for the reason for this, I perceived that those who continued to receive this, this power of life were those who felt gratitude both to God and to me, she's talking about herself, as the humble channel who expressed and who expressed that gratitude by giving. Isn't that powerful? Meaning, and so she says, the ones in whom the life force dwindled were those who merely asked and accepted with no thought of return. Some of those were very dear to me, being spiritual children to whom I had given birth, but I found no way of circumventing that the law that Jesus stated in so many different ways, the law that as we give, we receive. It's the flow. This law is not arbitrary nor willful. It is written in the very nature of things. And we can no more alter it than we can alter the law of gravity. God's life is a flow. It's a living water. It's active electricity. In order to keep that current flowing through us, we must give it out as an outlet to complete that circuit. If we do not do so, the channel of its flow becomes clogged and it runs more and more thinly and finally ceases altogether. The manner of giving is less important than the feeling of gratitude that makes one long to give. Those who from a spontaneous feeling of gratitude freely give of their money to further the ministry to keep their channels free for God's life. Those who are giving in love, service to others, also keep their channels clear. I just thought that was interesting. For whom it may concern, right? Because that's where I, I, I see a lot of these guys, they, they start getting arguing. I don't have to give in the new covenant. I go, you don't. You don't. But it's going to dry up. 
It's a fascinating thing to me. Isn't that interesting? It says the ones who I prayed for and they were so grateful that they were healed, they felt spontaneous to have to give. You guys get it? Is that good? All right, let's go to the very last slide, bud, if we can do this. Is this too much? I know I had a lot to cover, but that video is a little long. So, all right. So here's how you pray, guys. Is uh, for healing, this really works for anything. But, uh, you know, we've, we've been sh- really sharing quite a bit. It says um, in John 14 through 16, if we ask, five times in there it says, if we ask or require is a, is a better word for that English word, ask. If we require anything, we will have it so that our joy may be full. Would a loving husband ever bait, our, bait his wife and go, huh? A little more faith. It sounds ridiculous when you put it in the relational terms, doesn't it? And if we understand that being an earthly father, how much more does your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? Follow me? Anything that's of his will, what's his will? His will is love, so anything that's in love, you have. You don't have to worry about whether, and I was going to cover that scripture, but we're running out of time. If it's in love, guys, if, it's, if, you, if you need provision, if you need joy, if you need wholeness in your body, if you need restoration in relationships, it is yes and amen. There is, you don't have to worry about it at all. How you clearly receive it, because he says, I've already given you everything before you've even asked. So it's not a matter of can I have this or not or did God move or not. He's moved. He's outside of time. You guys with me on that? So what is it? It's our own hearts, the capability to receive. So how you do it, the best way is really to come into gratitude first. Thank you. Think about something. What I like to do is I'm like, thank you, Father, for my wife, my kids. I live in this beautiful country. Thank you, Father. Because gratitude is just this He's in love. He's in gratitude. So if we can get into an gra- attitude of gratitude, we just become aware of him. Is he always there? He's always there, but sometimes our mind is not there, is it? So anyway, use your imagination to see his love, his light, his presence, everything he is, if we're praying for healing, flowing into that person or even yourself and seeing it vibrant, whole, alive. You could even, like uh, the testimony of my brother-in-law, he goes, I pictured walking Christina down for her prom, even though she wasn't born yet. What's he doing? He's bringing the future into to him. Well, the only way he could walk his daughter down to prom means he didn't die of Waldenstrom's disease, even though he's 100% fatal. Do you get that? That's prayer. Is that simple? That's why kids can do it, because a stick is like a, a machine gun to a little boy. It doesn't have to be anything. That can, that can turn from a NASCAR car to a machine gun in like a millisecond, Right? It's, it's beautiful to watch. Like when we were out in the woods, we had all these fun toys, four-wheelers and everything. They wanted sticks. They wanted sticks and hit each other with sticks and run around. And <laughs> She's like, is this normal? I go, yeah, it's a boy. That's what boys do. So, right? It's just boys. That's what we do. So, sorry, ladies. It's just what we do. So, anyway. So, you mentally, you see his, his love, his light. Is he in you? Did he say rivers of living water are going to flow out of you. So that's what I try to picture. I see his love, his light, his presence, touching whatever I want it to touch, that thank you, Father. Really, the words are just to get my mind into that place. Thank you, Father, that every atom in their body is resonating in perfect love, and they're completely whole. They're completely vibrant. And I'll try to see the end. I'll try to see them perfectly whole. That's prayer to me. Knowing that, if I plant that seed in my heart, will it return? It shall return. Is that easy or is that easy? He's got it? That's how you pray for prayer or healing. That's how you pray for abundance, how you pray for restoration, anything. You see the end as if it's already done, giving thanks for that. Because if you know you already have it, like if if Neville already knew he went to Barbados and he went first class, would he be excited? Yes, I need to practice that more because when I have to fly coach, I'm like a little wimp. Isn't that the worst, Brent? (laughs) If you have to fly overseas in the back, it's just like hell. I go, do you believe in hell? Yes. Yes, it's flying to Europe in the back. <laughs> it's worse than hell. I'm convinced of that. At least they don't smoke anywhere. That was even the worst when they were smoking. You're in the way back because we were always so poor. Like eight pounds of just smoke. Jeez, <laughs> is there hell? Yes, I'm in it. <sighs> I'm all over this now, man. Right. It's just, it's so real to me right now. So you can get to your feet, because otherwise I'll keep going. I've already gone too long. So if anybody needs healing, 
come up here. And every of you guys online too, just reach out, guys. Info at freedomministries.org. We've, we've prayed with so many people online that they're just, they're, I don't want to call it to a miracle because it should just be life. It shouldn't be this thing like we're surprised that it happened. It should become as spontaneous as breathing. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, Bill's showing the offering. So if you want to give, you can give online or just give on you, on, you want to give on the way out, okay? I don't want to spend time on that right now, but thank you, Bill, for, for reminding me and Micah. Oh, Father, we just thank you. We just thank you that we're so divinely created and we're one with you. And this idea that we could ever be separated from perfect love is so wrong. You would never separate from us. You love us perfectly. In fact, what makes you holy is your, that you can love us as the spotless bride, even though sometimes we feel we have spots and you don't see them. You keep no record of wrong. We are the spotless bride and we were one with you. And you've given us every assurance we could ever need that all these promises are real, they're yes. So Father, we just thank you that we see any, any wrong thinking in their hearts is just dissolved right now by your truth. In Jesus' magnificent name. That as they can picture it and as they can feel it, that seed planted, just like an apple seed, somehow has the miracle power in itself to produce the apple tree. Our thoughts and our feelings are our prayer. And when we hold on to that and we plant those thoughts and and feelings in our heart, the same miracle power is released, and we shall have that what we prayed for. And we just say thank you. You couldn't make it any easier. You couldn't make it any better. Just let these seeds, these ideas get deep into our hearts that we know that we're just this beautiful channel for your life, for your healing, and we just get to let it go. It's not, the pressure's not on us. We just know as we do it, it shall be done. In Jesus' magnificent name. Amen, amen, amen. Good? Easy? All right. If you need prayer for healing, come on up. But uh, uh, online as well, honestly, just reach out, info at freedomministries.org. We'll pray for you right over line, and you'll see he'll do his thing.